Welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast. Our guests share their stories and approaches to embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in communications because, I mean, let's be honest, we know the power of language. And language leads to behavior. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in leveling up your communications. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And DEI communications, it's, it's kind of my thing. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about how to communicate like you give a damn. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Communicate Like You Give a Damn. And <laughs> today's guest, oh my gosh, she elevated a LinkedIn Live panel that we put together uh, just in January of 2024. And uh, she was the first person I reached out to and said, would you be on this panel? Would you be a part of this LinkedIn Live? And Sasha said, yes, I'm in. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is really happening. Okay. And then I, then I reached out to two more people. And all three people that I invited all said yes and showed up within a couple of days because we were in response of all these headlines, you know, weaponizing DEI is a term, DEI is going to DIE and all this stuff. And so, you know, I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, DEI itself needs a communications team. DEI itself needs a communications plan. And Sasha was the first person to, to raise her hand like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And that's, and she came to mind because she was commenting on a post that I was making based on these headlines. And we were started talking about these terms, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So once that panel was over, I'm like, Sasha has got to be on the podcast. And she has her own extremely successful podcast as well. So I'll let her introduce herself so you can learn and follow her podcast and her work as well. Sasha, welcome. Thank you for being here. I am so looking forward to this conversation. Kim, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited <laughs> to continue the conversation um, that we started a couple of weeks ago. So, so I guess let me where just dive in. Based? Yeah, let's just go myself. for it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for everyone, hello, my name is Sasha Thompson. Um, I am the Inclusive Culture Curator and um, I am based in the Washington, D.C. area. I have been doing this work, I say since birth, but mm. <laughs> really... Yeah. Um, yeah. professionally, I've been doing it my entire career. I've had some type of outreach program or something um, impacting underrepresented or underserved communities since I was an undergraduate. So this is something that I've always been doing. I started the equity equation in 2020, fortunately and unfortunately during that time, right? Unfortunately, because everyone and their mother was a DEI practitioner at that time. Um, I was actually moving in the direction of launching this in 2020, and sorry, in 2019, mm -hmm. COVID, right? And so one of the first things that were cut during that time were DEI programs. And so I was like, hey, I'm in this job. It's not the best job for me. It's not good for my health, um, but it is giving me a paycheck. And so I really, you know, used that time uh, to build my business, the foundation of my business, and and start getting the word out there that you know this was going to be the next step for me. So, and it's, it hasn't slowed down since. Beautiful, beautiful. Where did you come up with the name? Oh, so actually, I have a cousin um, who is now eighty six. She'll be eighty seven next month. Um, who has been in this space for forty years, and she and mm. I during COVID, you know, we're just having conversations. We would have our Friday chats. And one of our conversations was, you know, organizations focus on diversity really, really well and checking the box for those numbers. They're starting to have these conversations about inclusion, but the missing link is equity, right? And so that missing part of that equation is equity and how do you provide support or remove barriers? And that's how I think about equity. Um, and so in just that conversation, I'm like, yeah, this is the equation, right? The equity equation. This is the, the X. This is the X factor. This is what's missing. Um, and so that's kind of where the name of the organization just morphed from from there. And so what, what kind of work do you do for clients when it comes to equity? Because I believe you do leadership, inclusive leadership, as well as the culture cur curator, uh, you know, hat that you wear. 
Yeah. So often what I do is focus on the psychological safety of an organization um, and do that with the lens of equity and inclusion. And so going into organizations, helping them actually assess that information. But we do it by demographics. Right. So we're looking at it by department. We're looking at it by gender. We're looking at it by um, age. We're looking at it by race and ethnicity. And part of that curation is having conversations with the powers that be leaders, um, HR, whoever it is that's brought me in to start talking about the intersections of that work. Right. Where are the gaps? Where do some people need support or some groups need support and others may not need as much support, right? And so this is really a way to remove the equality equation out of the picture. And let's start talking about equity. Let's really start talking about who needs what support and how the organization can provide that. So that's a lot of the work that we do. Um, when we do the psychological safety assessments, we also do that at the department level, as I said. And so leaders get their own department score. So you can't just say this is the organization. Right. They're actually getting the score for their team. And then we do some one-on-one -on -one coaching with them. We also look at themes across the organization, provide some other support there. And then six months later, do another assessment. So it is a long-term process. It's not a one and done. It's not a workshop. It really is, okay, we want to see what's happening here. Or we have a sense or an idea, you know, from our either engagement surveys or just feedback from people, but this gives you the actual data um, and some feedback, right? So employees can do this anonymous feedback and really help us figure out what's going on. And it's just, it's empowering for me to have this data and be able to tell you about your organization in ways that you didn't think I would be able to tell you about your right. organization. And so, yeah, that's so a lot of the work that we do. Okay. So you mentioned employee engagement surveys and uh, a lot of corporations um, also do self-identification or self-ID uh, surveys. So when you come into an organization, do they already have that demographical information from a self-ID? Well, actually, let me back up. Can you identify, can you define for us what a self-ID survey is? And because I can tell you from a communication standpoint, the narrative and the story that we tell around the purpose of a self-ID survey is make or break, right? Yeah. Um, so if we can double clip, click into that for a minute from your side, and then I'll, I'll share some stuff that we run into on the communication side as well. Yeah. So for the most part, when you do these self-identification surveys, it allows people to be able to identify how they see themselves in the organization, right? So if they are... Uh, excuse me, if they are biracial, right? Well, what does that look like? Um, they don't fall necessarily into one category. If they are um, non-binary, right? That's something as well that can be brought up in those types of surveys. So it allows organizations to get as much information as they can by people that are comfortable sharing that information. Right. The downside of that is people aren't always comfortable sharing that type of information. Right. Especially if they have some type of hidden disability that may hinder the support that they get. Um, or if it's an organization in a state that is not very friendly to the LGBTQ plus community, they may mm -hmm. not necessarily um, want to to share that information. And so that's that's what makes that a little bit difficult. Um, and so when we do the assessments, it's information that HR or culture team or whatever the team is um, already has in place. So we typically can do gender, um, department, race, ethnicity, and age, right? So those are typically the ones that we can do. We've also started adding location because many organizations have hybrid. And so we're trying to see if um, individuals that are remote are having a different experience than those that are in the office, et cetera. So those are typically the ones that we use. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, you know, from the communications team side, you know, the challenges mm -hmm. we have is really telling that story to help uh, feel, help everyone understand that everyone's invited to participate in this. 
whatever their identities are, you know, because we're in this age of reverse discrimination, this, you know, like this discriminates me as, you know, as, you know, a white male or something like that as a straight uh, person. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's a story there that we need to evolve and, and really talk about how we want an understanding of who works here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how people identify who work here. And there's the side of, like I was just saying, that the, the contingency that we have to consider of the people who are like, this is reverse discrimination. And then there's, there, and then there's the uh, other side of the story that's also like, I don't want to identify my, my, you know, race, ethnicity, or, you know, my sexual orientation, because it's data, it could come yeah. back to bite me. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be known as my identities. Why are we calling attention to our identities? Because I'm already trying to like stay below the radar and just do my job as it is. So what are some of the ways that you've helped coach, you know, culture teams or leaders uh, to, to help them kind of navigate those, those mindsets of, of concern around demographical information? Yeah. Let me step back a second to answer that question. And I think part of that concern comes with a lack of trust, right? How has this information been used before? What was communicated to us before? And what what was communicated before? And what did we experience? If there's a yeah. disconnect there, then people are more likely not going to respond the next time that those questions are asked, right? And so yep. it is making sure that what is communicated out to them aligns with the experience that they're going to have. They're going to see that the data is used in a positive way. They're going to see that no one is being punished for sharing this information, right? They're seeing that the organization is actually doing something with the data. One of the things that drives me crazy with organizations is they'll do these assessments, they'll do all of this work, and then it's hidden behind the scenes. And if they don't like the results, then they'll act like it never happened. Yeah, and comms teams have got to advocate for, oh, no, we ask the questions. We have to be ready for the answers. And we owe it to them to have the a communication. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, so I shared with you earlier, you know, part of my career, 10 years of my career, I was in marketing. And so my mind is constantly thinking of about, OK, who's our audience and what is our message? like, And what are we trying to get them to do? Those three things. And so even if we're keeping those things in mind, you also have to think about, okay, what has this group experienced before that may hinder them doing the thing that we want them to do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you speak to that, right? How do you acknowledge that? And so, so many organizations want to gloss over that experience, but that's part of the psychological safety work that we do as well too. Transparency. You have to build up that trust. I need to be able to trust that you're going to do exactly what you say. And then I'm going to not watch just what you've done with me, but I'm going to watch what you've done for others as well. And so that's part of the conversation that needs to happen more, right? How are we truly aligning what we're communicating out to our employees and what we're actually doing? And, you know, going back to 2020, that summer of 2020, that's why there was so much backlash Right. So many comms teams came out with the black box and right. you know, Black Lives Matter. And employees were like, mm, guess what? No. <laughs> right. Exactly. Which was the impetus for Janet Stovall and I to write the book was because of that exact situation. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and I was in corporate at the time. I was still in my my former wow. job. Yeah. And I'm just hearing and seeing the things. And I'm just like, y'all. Like, this doesn't even make sense to me. And because I came from a marketing background, I was on an HR team at the time. And so they're not understanding why I'm not understanding. (laughs) Right. Um, And I'm like, because I can see spin. Like, I can see and understand what you're trying to say. But I'm also going to try to untangle that to get to the root. And so, so many people are doing that now that probably didn't do it before. Right. They're just like, okay, yep, that's what the organization is saying. Now that's getting dissected. Right. So there I remember very clearly they were like, oh, we're going to double the number of um, vice presidents of color that we have. Right. And we're going to put that out. We're going to double that number. I'm like, y'all, we got one. 
Right. <laughs> the bar is low. But or we have one. We're going to double it to one. <laughs> and I'm like, and I got a little speed dial on my phone. Like, this is not... <laughs> But it sounds amazing. That's a great headline. We're doubling our, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And so, and I'm like, you're going to put this out to the public, right? As what you're going to do during this time period. But the employees that are in this company know that one person, right? And so now the question is, are you really trying to do anything? Because you can hire one other person. That's that's a very low bar. Um, And so that's the stuff that's being pushed back right now. It's if you're putting something out there, what is that message that you're putting out and how can it be dissected? And can it be dissected in a way that will embarrass you in social media? Because that's the other element of this. Folks are not going back to the organization and saying, hey, guess what? I think that you know, this isn't the right thing. No, they are going to put your organization on blast on social media, right? Mm -hmm. With receipts, they're going to show this is exactly what's happening. And so I don't think um, that part of what we saw in 2020 is going to go away. Like that is the new normal. That is the expectation, especially of these younger generations. The demand of it. Yes. They, they, just buck the system, which is good to some degree, yeah. right? Because now yeah. that there's a level of accountability that wasn't there before. I think we can start something on TikTok, Sasha. Are you familiar with like uh, boy math, girl math? Oh, absolutely. We could do, yeah. we could do corporate DEI math, you know, yeah. and <laughs> we could just do a whole series just on corporate DEI math, what DEI yeah. is and what corporatized DEI is. Yeah. Because it, oh, there were some things that I saw that I was just like. Right, right. Why? (laughs) How? Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you don't see Sasha's face on YouTube, I encourage you to check it out. (laughs) (laughs) That is just shock, awe, dismay, confusion, like all of those things tied together. (laughs) All of those tied together. Well, I know one of the things that often gets confused within a corp, a company communications around DEI is this conflation and confusion of equity and equality. And we throw around the, the baseball, you know, graphic, or maybe it's, you know, some other version of that with the tree leaning over and stuff mm-hmm. like that to, to try to give people a visual of the difference between equity and equality. So can you help us kind of like di- dissect that a little bit? So comms people are really clear what the work is. Yeah. So I, I look at equity as everyone gets the same. I mean, sorry, equity is everyone doesn't get the same. They get what they need in order to be successful. Right. So can what you need is very different than what I need. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not necessarily even based on race, gender, you know, any of those things. It's just who we are as people. We Mm -hmm. learn in different ways. We communicate in different ways. And so equity is ensuring that people have what they need in order to be successful. Equality is giving everyone the same thing and expecting the same same outcome. That doesn't necessarily work, right? And so I always use the analogy of if you have kids, right? So I have two bonus boys that are 16 years old, um, twins, okay? So- Twins. Okay. Teenage boys, twins. Gotcha. Teenage boys. I'm hearing you. (laughs) Totally different um, personalities, right? And so with one who is very outgoing and will speak to everyone, right? Sometimes I have to remind him, you know, like, okay, well, let's, let's give somebody else an opportunity to speak up, right? Whereas the other one will let the brother say and do, and he's just like, yeah, whatever he says. I'm like, no, you need to use your voice, right? And so it's it's a different style, a different mm-hmm. thing. You know, each one of them needs something a little bit different in order for them to be able to shine. And so that's how I look at equity. It's having a leader that sees the uniqueness of who you are and helps you with the resources and support or even removing barriers, right? That might be hindering your progress and your success. And so that's how I look at um, the equity piece of this work. And 
you work a lot with leaders. And mm-hmm. so you, you, you sit with them one-on-one or perhaps in a C-suite kind of a, a staff meeting style or, and, and kind of give us an idea of how leaders are thinking about DEI these days and the way mm-hmm. that you coach them, you know, to see DEI and what it actually is rather than what they may have walked into the work understanding. So this is where... Um it gets a little interesting because I I rarely talk about DEI with leaders. Rarely talk it, rarely use those letters. It's all about, okay, so what are you trying to do, right? How are you supporting every single person on your team where every single person feels valued, seen, heard, and connected? What are the challenges that they're having, right? And we start to talk about, because I do a lot of one-on-one. And so it's like, okay, so what are the challenges? that that person is facing. And I help them see, okay, not everyone (laughs) needs the same thing, right? Not everyone needs handholding. You have to flex in and out of your leadership style also sometimes because how, what you needed when you were in their shoes is probably not what they need now. And so getting out of your own way in leadership Mm -hmm. is often what I'm talking about when when I talk to leaders. It's also, um, and I, I shared this with you before, right? I sneak in the vegetables of DEI. <laughs> All right. So it's just like, okay, yep. Let's look at this at the intersection of these identities and talk about it that way. And they're like, oh, like, as a matter of fact, I was having a conversation today with a client where we're like, okay, so we're looking at this assessment data. Um, let's look at department by gender. And there's one department in particular that the women Mm -hmm. are having an extremely different experience than the men, Mm -hmm. right? And so they were like, this is a phenomenal data point because we can now have a conversation about this with that Mm -hmm. leader, right? And it's it's not about, oh, everyone, I'm just treating everyone the same. Clearly you're not, Mm -hmm. right? Or if you Mm -hmm. are, there's something else that's happening there that we need to then dissect. So, you know, with leaders, it's rarely... Am I talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion? It's how are you showing up as an inclusive leader? How are you showing up with emotional intelligence? How are you leaning into understanding psychological safety? And how are you creating that within your team? How are you modeling the behavior of psychological safety, right? So if I'm saying, oh yeah, this is a psychologically safe team, but someone comes up to me with an idea and I bite their head off, they're not going to share anymore. And anyone that has witnessed that is not going to share anymore, right? And so those are the things that we really talk about. It's like how we change in behaviors so Mm -hmm. that leaders show up in a very different way, but they can maximize what they're getting out of their employees. Do you have any challenge with them understanding the benefits of psychological safety? And how do you, how you describe to them what the outcomes and the benefits are of psychological safety? Not really, um, because we talk about each of the stages and what they should expect in each of those stages. So it's very elementary, <laughs> bringing them in to the work mm-hmm. and communicating it in a very simplistic way. Um, and what I always say to them is if an employee, if someone on your team is psychologically safe, you could almost get rid of your recruiting team. Because they will be the best recruiters for you. They will want people to come into your organization like, oh, my gosh, I have the best experience. This is the best boss. This is the best environment that I've ever been a part of. You like we have 14 roles available. Like I'm going to tell all my friends. Right. If that organization is operating in a way that is psychologically safe where everyone feels that they can push and challenge and it's innovative and, you know, every the, all the ideas, even if they're not taken as the next big idea, but they're considered, right? And you feel like, okay, my I'm valued, my input is valued. That's going to be the best organization. The flip side is also true, right? If people are feeling like they're not valued and they're not being seen and they're just a cog in a wheel, if an opening is available, they're going to be like, you don't want to work here, right? We do it yeah. with restaurants. <laughs> we do yeah. it with... Yeah. Yeah. You do it with work. And yeah. so when I talk to leaders about that, I'm like, do you want your team to be the best recruiters 
for your organization? Of course, they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, you lead the charge in that, right? Psychological safety is everyone's responsibility, but you lead the charge. And so how are you going to model that behavior? How are you creating a team environment that allows for pushback? How are you creating an environment that allows people to learn, right? The things that aren't written in the employee handbook. How are you creating an environment where people can contribute in meaningful ways and not just do the 10 step process that you started 20 years ago because it's worked then, right? Right. New technology has come up new, you know, there's so many new things. And so if you're not allowing employees to be able to shine in those ways, they're not going to give you the best of what they have to offer. I can see this approach solving for a couple of challenges that we have and people understanding actually what DEI actually is. One, mm-hmm. you're approaching it from outcomes, results. So yep. you're saying, don't you want this? Don't you want this? And that's having people, you know, leaders especially connect those dots of, you know, and then we would back it up. You're talking about behavior into results. We would back it up to language. So language leads to behavior and then that behavior turns into results. Absolutely. The second thing that I'm hearing is that not once did you say that you used DEI in there. And one of the challenges that we have is a lot of corporations seeing DEI as first, like go out and grab as many um, different hires with different backgrounds as much as we can, but differences in backgrounds, orientations, race, ethnicities, but we've not done the work on the inclusion side. So they're going to spin out. So you saying you could, you know, hey, if you want to save money, you can move on from recruiting and just, and so you're, you're telling them it has to be right here on the inside. We have to get it right on the inside, you know, and then any, anybody that does come in, it's already kind of built in. So you're, you're helping them understand the solve isn't just bringing in more people. We have to get our own house in order. You know, one of the analogies, um, I interviewed someone some years ago, and one of the analogies that they said that stuck with me was when you are preparing the body for a new organ, right? Let's say you need to get a new liver. You don't just throw a new liver in there, right? You have to prepare the body to accept it because you don't want the, the liver to, re- the body to reject this new organ. Th- it's the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have to prepare the body, you have to prepare the organization for this new organ, right? And what does it take to do that? It takes time, it takes um, patience, it takes there's processes and procedures that need to be put in place, right? It's a schedule. You don't just say, oh, we found an organ, we're gonna pop it in today, right? It takes time to do that. And so you have to think about this work in that, in that same way. How are we preparing the body? How are we preparing the organization for these changes? And do we need to create policies and procedures or how are we even communicating this? Right. Because one of the things that I'm often hearing is, oh, that person was an affirmative action hire. (sighs) How do you start to dismantle that? Right. And so I think organizations need to also have in place how what is our response for these things when it happens in house? How are we preparing our leaders to be able to respond to these things when it's set on the team in house? Those are the comms plans that we don't have. Right. We're not prepared for we're prepared for the the press and the media, you know, when they come and we have the bullet points and the boilerplate (laughs) responses. We need that internally as well. Right. What is the expectation? What are the behaviors that need to change? What is our response when people start saying, you know, oh, this organization's too woke? (laughs) How do you respond to those things? And so. That's part of this process right now in organizations really knowing if they're going to do this work and double down on this work, they have to also have the responses for this pushback that they're going to get. Hey, I wanted to check in with you and remind you that you aren't alone in this work. I've heard it all. I've seen it all. And I want to help you and your team build DEI skills and get some momentum going. 
I have very specific workshops and sessions where we can learn about what DEI actually is and what our role is as communicators. The most popular session I do is showing how unconscious bias shows up in our work and the impact it has on our audiences. It's truly fascinating and there's always epiphanies. So to learn more, go to kimclarkcommunications.com. Thanks. Yeah, and that's, you just explained why my firm exists, is to work with (laughs) primarily internal communicators to come up with that communication strategy. And and a key part of our strategy is telling stories. And oftentimes we, we, we don't understand that we need to create a compelling vision of what the outcomes, what kind of the culture that we need to have to stay competitive, to reduce unwanted attrition for that psychological safety. There's, there's a tone, a personality, a style of connection that communicators set as the role model for the organization. So when you're doing this work, what are you looking at from a communication standpoint in order to basically support the work you're putting in place? And I'll tell you a little bit just briefly, like why I am really passionate about this is because I feel like when you come in or other kinds of DEI strategists come in and they, they, you know, organizations will put in time, the investment, but comms is not at the table. Comms is not trained. Comms doesn't understand the importance of DEI. It will never have the, the desired effects. It could even fail if comms is not a part of the work and the team itself is trained into understanding what their role and responsibility is in these outcomes of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So what do you see as what communicators need to do? How do we need to step up in this work? So one is be at the table, right? And and be part of the, the process of development. Um, you know, when I talk about being the inclusive culture curator, I have a program where we take an organization through like, okay, what is our inclusive culture going to be and what is it going to look like? And part of what we do, first of all, the folks that are at the table aren't the typical people that are at the table, right? Because I want to make sure that the voices that are never heard are at the table, right? Mm-hmm. So we have independent contributors. We have people that, from, that are new to the organization Folks that are that have been there for a while. We have the naysayers, right? The folks, you know, it's it's yep. such a blended yep. mix of of people there because they know that they have a common like. There's a goal at the end of that. Part of that process is okay. So, what is the internal communications going to be? And typically, I have them come up with if they don't have a comms person, I have them come up with okay. So, what are we going to communicate to the rest of the team? that has to be consistent across the board, right? We can't have our own interpretations of what that looks like and what that means. What are we consistently saying across the board? What are our responses are, are going to be for that? And so I think for communications teams, it's being part of that process of understanding what are our end goals? What are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying, what behaviors are we trying to change? Um, what's shifting in our organization? Right, because in order to move into a different place in a different space, sometimes you have to let go of things that have been traditional to the organization that have not been inclusive. And so what does that look like? And how are we going to do that? Is that going to be, you know, we're no longer gonna have, you know, X, Y, and Z at the quarterly staff meetings. That needs to be communicated out. The why behind that needs to be communicated out, not just we're not gonna have it. Because I said so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? The why, the why, the why, the thought process. The five whys. Like, ask yourself, like, get to the root of what Mm -hmm. it is and really start to articulate, you know, what it is that people need to know. And one of the reasons why I have the naysayer at the table is because that person is going to ask all the questions, right? They're going to be the one Mm -hmm. that's going exactly. Um, And so having a communications person there to kind of hear and understand some of the questions that are coming up or some of the potential blocks helps you to prepare for those things um, as well, too. 
it also helps you guide and say, okay, if this is um, what the folks that are not believing this at all are thinking, we can now create a plan to communicate to them, which would be different to, to the plan of the people that are on the fence. That is different than the plan that the people that are bought in. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's again, creating communications that meets the audience where they are and then helps them get to where you want them to go. Mm -hmm. Yep. Thousand percent. <laughs> Right there with you, Sasha, because so many, you know, many of the comms teams that I talk to, they're just on the side of like, well, this is such a no brainer. Why wouldn't anybody be again, you know, you know, you know, not be on board with this is like, this is just obvious. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, that's your upbringing. That's that's what your the experience you're bringing to the table here. But that's not everybody else's experience. Yeah. And we need to keep that in mind as communicators. Other people are having a different experience. They come from a different place. They have different understandings about how the world works. So how do we continually build bridges and invite these different backgrounds and experiences into the work so they can see themselves in the work so they can also to contribute to the work and yeah. benefit from the work? Yeah, so it's thank putting you yourself in, in the shoes of someone that's totally opposite of you, right? And typically they say that, you know, for empathy, but it's also, okay, so what are some of the things that someone that's total opposite of me, what are some of the things that are think, they're thinking? That's an exercise that is very difficult, especially yeah, if you're absolutely. firm in your beliefs, but mm -hmm. it's one that can be super helpful in understanding how to answer the questions or to, to message things in a certain way where you get them to see like, ah, okay, I get it. Or at least I understand it a little bit better, right? And I know you like storytelling. I, I just tell this real quick story. I was doing a facilitation some years ago. This organization, older white gentleman, was not feeling DEI at all. Like was just not feeling it. You can tell body language, all of that. Yeah. And so we were talking about privilege of all things, and I'm like, okay, this is not going to <laughs> land the way that I want it to land with him. Um. And so I ended up started. I started talking about me being able-bodied and not and having the privilege of not having to think about navigating elevators, stairs, all those things. Right? I take it for granted because I just don't have to think about those things because I am able-bodied. And as soon as I said that, it clicked for him. His wife is in a wheelchair. Oh, and they had just gone to Disney, and he's like, "We had to think about." He's like, "Even though it's very accessible." Not everything is accessible as you would want it to be. And so how they navigated the park was very different than the mm -hmm. average park person, right? Per mm -hmm. Park visitor. Um, and that's how he started to get it. Like that opened the door. There's the connection. Yep. That opened the door. Um, and so because he was not feeling it for gender, he wasn't feeling it for race. But as soon as it became personal, then he started to feel it. And so that's the other thing that I want to make sure communicators can do is get out of the head and connect to the heart, get to the humanity and to the humanness of this DEI work, because that's what it is, is we want people to be treated as if they're human. That's that's truly what this is all about. Um, and if you can get out of the logical head space and start to connect in that empathy space, in that humanness connection, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that more people will come on board, right? Rarely, I, I can't think of any leader that has not told me that they don't want anyone on their team to feel valued, seen, heard, or connected. Right. Right. And I'm like, well, that's not the experience everyone is having. So what can we do, right, right. in order to feel that? Like, yeah. how can we best support them? That's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So, we're releasing this episode originally during Black History Month in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so talking about the humanization, talking about that connection, um, where, what do you advise and recommend for communicators as they approach Black History Month and, and any other kind of cultural moment opportunity? What are some of the kind of the key criteria that you'd like to see at the next level, getting out of the performative side of communications that we tend to default to, unfortunately, mm -hmm. 
that's another hashtag uh, corporate DEI uh, math (laughs) (laughs) option right there. But, you know, so what, what do we, what do you, what needs to happen from a communication standpoint on that social post or that, that branded campaign that we're doing with speakers and ERGs on the inside? This is, this is one of my areas (laughs) that I, I always struggled with when I was in corporate. Um, one, operate as if Black History Month, Asian History Month, LGBTQ plus month, Pride is year round. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> Consistency. Yep. Yep. Right. So it's not just, okay, we can only have Black speakers during Black History Month. They should be, they could be highlighted, but that should not be the only time that anyone in your organization sees a Black speaker or you know, someone from the LGBTQ plus community or someone that's black and part of the LGBTQ, like thinking about intersectionality in this as well too. Absolutely. Year round. Mm-hmm. The second thing is people from marginalized communities can talk about other things other than being from marginalized communities. I know that's a shocker for some folks. <laughs> But, you know, in that last corporate job that I had, I managed the Speakers Bureau. And the whole point of it was to have people from underrepresented communities talking about technology on the main, on our stages, right? And it was such a challenge because people always wanted them to talk about what does it feel, what, like, what does it, um, what is it like to be non-binary in tech? Right. But my my background is in machine learning. Can I talk about machine learning? Mm-hmm. Right. And so making sure that we don't um, pigeonhole people into just those conversations. Right. Talking making lives. sure that they're talking about things other than diversity and inclusion, yeah. unless that's their specialty. Right. One of the things that I often talk about is the intersection of business and what's happening in the in the world around us, right? So Roe v. Wade and how that impacts business. That's a DEI conversation without it being a DEI conversation, yes. right? I'm working on a piece now of what do political campaigns need to think about or communities that they need to think about, right? As the season is starting to pick up, that's a DEI conversation because now we're talking about voters. We're talking about issues that are important to them, you know, all of these things, but also are Mm -hmm. they being seen in your campaign, Mm -hmm. that representation piece? So I think those Mm -hmm. are the two big things for me. It's 365 and having people talk about their background and specialty without it being so focused on their identity. Yeah, I love that. And and I, I often get the question from communicators, I don't want to tokenize employees. How do I avoid co- tokenization? And um, so I think what you just said, said just like handles that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make sure everyone really hears one of the things that I got out of what you said is that we use this term marginalized communities or marginalized, you know, uh, um, peoples or or. But it we we've gotten too comfortable saying that term without just pausing and thinking of like they didn't marginalize themselves. Yeah, you know yeah. it's a result of yeah. systemic decisions that we are reaffirming on a daily basis. Yep. So Absolutely. whenever you write or hear or say that term, marginalized people or marginalized community, I I need you to just kind of like interrupt your own thought process and really think through like, these are human beings on the effect side of other human beings decisions that we are upholding in systems and structures. They didn't marginalize themselves. I'm a gay woman. I didn't marginalize myself. I'm a woman. I didn't marginalize myself. Right. So, so how do we, you know, so tell that story. (laughs) That's a great way to elevate the, the storytelling. Yeah. And that's a scary story, right? To to have to contend with. Um, that I think can in this day and age is is tough 
but you can't ignore it, right? The other thing, you know, I often will say the global majority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shifting is, language. I love that. I so love that. Talk, talk that through, like I'm used to it, but that might be a new term to some of our listeners to kind of talk through what you mean by that. Right. So we often say the minority, meaning it's a number, right? So when we look at the minority uh, or people that have been minoritized, it's basically because they've been pulled from their homes, right? And, and, and created and placed in systems that make them a smaller number, but when you look at the global context, right, they are the global majority. People of color are the global majority. And so it's a mind shift um, of being a small number to like, no, there's power in this number. There's power in this. And so it's an empowerment um, that goes along with that in claiming or not claiming, right, the, the majority, the minoritization of those words. Um, so yeah, so that that's a big part of it too. And it was Arlen, Har- I think it's Arlen Hamilton, um, who talks about, you know, I'm not underrepresented, um, I'm underestimated. Yes. Right. And so again, it's, you know, changing language and making sure that you are intentional in how are you using and defining these words. And part of that could also be that tokenization as well, too. We tokenize words all the time. And so making sure that you're very clear in what you mean when you're using these words and it's consistent throughout all of your communication and that everyone knows what those mean. And we're just not using, you know, this jargon that's out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent point. So we're going to start wrapping up here and I'm going to ask you a question that I ask every guest. Okay. So <laughs> what does it sound like, feel like, um, look like to communicate like we give a damn? I intentionally wore this sweater. <laughs> oh, yeah? Because what it feels like is warmth. Like what it feels mm. like is is cozy. What it feels like is it feels right right? It feels like I'm not an afterthought. It feels like I'm centered in whatever it is that you're communicating, right? Regardless of my background, regardless of, of, you know, the topic. And so that's a very difficult thing to, to ask, but I don't think that it's impossible. And so I think, you know, it's that, it's the cozy, like, okay, I belong. This is meant for me. This is, they're not talking about me or, you know, behind, past me. They're talking to me and, and with me and, you know, all of those things. And so it feels like community. It feels like a, I'm mm. a part. And so that's, that's, yeah, how I would answer that. Well, that sweater is beautiful. And I love that you wore it to make that point for those who are on YouTube. You're getting to see it. Oh, I love that description. I could feel it. The adjectives, I could feel it. Yeah. That's what absolutely. Because you, you could also feel the total opposite of that too. Which is more often than not, you know? Yeah. Okay. I know we could go down another rabbit hole with that, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> how can people follow you, uh, reach out to you, hire you, work, work with your team? And, you, you know, definitely t- tell us about your podcast. Yeah. Oh, so I'll start with the podcast. Um, so the podcast is DEI After Five. It can be found on YouTube. DEI or After Five. Yep, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And it really stemmed from conversations I was having with friends that do this work and me being like, hey, what are you doing after five o'clock? Okay, right? So because we could have the real conversations after work. We couldn't have them at work. So that's kind of the impetus for the podcast is really conversations with DEI practitioners and other folks that are what I call um, practitioner or adjacent or or part of the supporting community about different topics in DEI. So it's not just your regular cookie cutter conversations. We're really talking about like intersectionality on a global scale or, you know, just what does being non-binary look like when you are, um, also 
you know, gay and black, right? Like how does all of that come together and what does that look like in the workplace? So that's DEI after five. Um, folks can find me on LinkedIn, Sasha Thompson ACC um, on there. And I usually just pop right up if you type in Sasha Thompson. Um, see my website, you can go to www.theequityequationllc.com. And you can see a lot of our services there. You can find the podcast there as well, too, in some of my blog posts. Um, yeah, I think those are kind of the best places. I'm on all the social, yeah, Instagram, all those other places, too. But Beautiful. in order to hear back from me, LinkedIn and, and the website are the best options. Thank you for the work that you do. I can tell just by your description of the work that you do that you create psychological safe environments to have tougher conversations for some people, but in a way that connects them to where they are, to the kind of leader they need to be or the culture they want to create and influence. So there's a real magic art, science, and skill to that, that you role modeled during our, our conversation today. So I also will include in the show notes, the link to our DEI needs a comms team, LinkedIn panel, <laughs> because that is, that is, was a historical conversation. It just, it was just all that it needed to be and more. So thank you for being the first one to say, yes, let's have this Absolutely. conversation. Cause Absolutely. it kicked off like, oh my gosh, we're really going to do this. And I'm so <laughs> glad we did. And maybe we'll get the band back together and continue the conversation. Cause I'm sure there's, there is a lot more to talk about for sure. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you for inviting me. Thank you for being in community with me. I, I absolutely love this and these conversations. So thank you. Come on, communicators. Let's support the work. Let's go. Thank you very much, Sasha. Take care. Bye. Okay. So what popped out to you from this conversation? And I mean, it may take a minute to process, but be sure not to brush off what you just heard. Look, you just need a partner to be with you through this experience and understand what to do next. So I'm inviting you to set up a one-on-one -on -one strategy session. All you need to do is go to communicate like you give a damn the podcast.com and you'll see the button there. The more conscious communicators in the world, the better the world. So thank you for listening. And until next time, let's communicate like we give a damn.